Yo! Episode 118 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast today. I got a treat for you. You already know what it is, man. I'm going to try not to waste a lot of time in the intro, even though the resume of one Jonathan Hood is very, very long. He was an incredible producer for a long time at The Score, one of the most talented radio people that I've ever been around. The the instrument that he uses more effectively than most is his voice, his ability to change up his voice, his ability to do impressions. It's really, really remarkable to be able to sit in a room and watch him go through this I'm a huge fan of Jonathan, and I'm happy to see what's happened for him on the national level that people have taken notice. He Sure, he does a couple of shows here and there for ESPN 1000, but he'll explain how his goal was always to get to ESPN National. And now he and Jeff Dickerson do a weekly show on, on ESPN. You hear him kind of all over the place with Freddie Coleman, just doing stuff, man, doing a lot of work. So I'm, I'm glad that he has gotten that. So we spend a lot of time talking about choices and career choices and especially how his career at the score ended and what it was like for him after that. Some people act like once you leave the score, like that's the end of your life, and it's not. Like a lot of people go on to have very successful careers. It's jarring for score listeners because you're so used to hearing a voice or in Jonathan's case, voices. But look at what he's gone on to do since then. We also hosted a show called WrestleManiacs, and we spend a little time talking wrestling. Wrestling. Strangely enough. So, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Other than, I should remind you, this podcast right here, We love our new sponsor, Team Hochberg, our buddy, David Hochberg. If you are looking to buy a home or if you want to refinance a home, he's the guy that you need to call. 855-56-DAVID or go to 56david.com. I've used David myself. He helped me when it came to refinancing my place in Kenwood and, and buying my house in Hyde Park. This is a guy that, he gets stuff done. If you're someone that likes it to be nice and clean, nice and easy, this is the person that you want handling that for you. So call him and do me this favor. If you like and support this podcast and you're in a place where you're going to buy a home or refinance, when you call David at 855-56-DAVID, tell him that you heard about it on the podcast. Like That's important because we want him to know that lots of people listen to the podcast and that his advertising message is getting through. So when you call David at 855-56-DAVID, tell him, hey, I heard you on House of L. Lawrence says you're a stand-up dude, so you better be a stand-up dude. All right? Cool. Homeside Financial Equal Housing Lender, MMLS, 1124061. Jonathan Hood was my guest this week on House of L. And you're going to learn a lot about him, and you're going to learn a lot about me. Enjoy. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really well. I'm recording you now, so, you know. Okay. The beautiful thing about House of Ella, you can say whatever the fuck you want. 
So. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm familiar with the format. And yes. I'm familiar with you. Oh, well, so good. I'm, yeah, so I know that I can say whatever the fuck I want. Which is good. Yeah. How, how you been? I'm good. Um, Hanging in there. Um, You know, with this pandemic and everything, I've been, I'm not trying to uh, outdumb the room. You know, we've mm. come to realize that so many people, uh, that have studied science for like four weeks and I'd rather stick with the guys that have studied science for like 40 years. I'm just, I'm just funny that way. So I'm just staying in the crib for the most part. I'm, I'm, but I've been on vacation though and doing a really, I had a nice tour of vacation just recently. Where'd you go? Went to the islands for a little bit. Stony and blue. Stony goose blue. <laughs> oh, you've added goose in there now. <laughs> you see, gotta change it up. Gotta change it up, and that's that's what this podcast is for. Let people know that can't go with the same lines the last twenty years. Throw a little ghost in there every now and then. You know, sure you could go with the same lines. People enjoy all of those, all of those lines. Oh my god, that is great. I gotta add that with full credit. Goose. I gotta add that to my repertoire. But I'm because I try to explain that to Tony Gill, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like. It's just like because people are are normally just really nosy, right? You just want to just go off and chill to yourself, have time, like you read a book, you know, just go over to the side. Then when you come back, people want to know, hey, where'd you go? What 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 you do? Like I went to the islands. Oh, really? Yeah, blue, stony, goose. Because people are just nosy, like none of your damn business, you know. So that's how you do that. It's the truth, man. It is the truth. I have so much stuff, so much ground I want to cover with you. Um, Let me start in the place where people would most expect us to start. Have you been paying attention at all to how many COVID cases have popped up in WWE? Yes, I have. It's really bothered me. Like, I, I don't, and I'm not even. I wouldn't even consider myself to be in it anymore. Like I'm not watching that much. Like there's a couple of entertainers that, that catch my eye. Like I love Becky Lynch. Like I love to see what she's done with everything, but I just felt like they were in such a rush to get back to production that they, they didn't seem to give a shit about those wrestlers at all. Well, you know, we got to just rewind a little bit. If you would watch, I wouldn't watch as much see the whole wrestling thing see this is really your fault so i have to keep up with it because someone's got to hold up the banner for wrestlemaniacs and it's like well lord's not really into it anymore so we'll find out what hood thinks and so i can't be that guy that says i don't know because that doesn't work so now i have to just keep watching with one eye can't watch it with two anymore so many other things going on to let give people a good answer because you won't answer the people so I mean, you're, to- you're accurate about that. And I, I, I am sorry about dumping all of those people into your lap because all the time, whether it's on Twitter or on the score and like, Oh, well, Lawrence, what do you think about? It? I'm like, I don't watch. And then I'm sure they're just like, huh? Sell out. Let me go ask hood. What he <laughs> thinks <laughs> about what's going on. Wait in a wrestling. Minute. The wrestling Terry Crews. <laughs> that doesn't work. You can't do that. Wait just a second. What is Brother oh. Cruz doing, man? What is he doing? Because there are moments. There are moments when you go, 
wow, this guy really stood up for the community and expressed the feelings of black men that have felt subjugated for forever when he was talking about that producer that grabbed his junk. And now, like every other time, with him, it's it's hit or miss. Every other time that he tweets something, you're like, come on, bro. Someone yeah. should have screened that tweet for you. I, uh, I saw him on Roland Martin just recently, just to try to get an idea of what Terry Crews, because it was away from like, it wasn't Access Hollywood. It was just kind of a, you know, Roland Martin, because I think Roland might ask him the hard questions. And I went away from the interview saying, I still don't know where you stand, Terry. And that's fine. I don't need to know where you stand because if you can't clarify your statements originally and kind of confuse it, then I, I don't want to know. So you asked about COVID-19. I yes. just want people to know this is how this is going to go because this is our usual conversation. Just it's a real roller coaster and I'm older now, so I forget. Um, so COVID-19. Well, this big man does not believe in sick. That's true. Yeah. So uh, he does not believe in the word sick. As a matter of fact, um, Jim Ross, a longtime announcer there when he was at there, he would attempt to sneeze and Vince would want to kick him out of the room. What is that? A goddamn sneeze? And Jim was like, yeah, I've had allergies. He goes, well, well do you want to go home? He's like, no, it was just a sneeze. And Vince just was just repulsed by someone attempting a sneeze in his in a room. So if he doesn't like sneezing, he clearly does not believe in COVID-19. But, you know, uh, he and Dan White are two birds of a feather in that regard, right? I mean, yep. Vin, there was reports that Vince did not want friends and family that were at the arena to wear masks to protect themselves. So it's not a surprise. It's It makes me really sad. And I, I did a whole podcast talking about us working and doing like independent shows and getting the chance to talk with wrestlers about what their lives are like. People don't understand that even at like the highest level, even at AEW and WWE, what those performers are putting themselves through with travel, with the bumps that they're taking, like all of this stuff, like, yes, it's scripted. Like we're, we're all very clear about that part of it. But if you don't think that those people are putting themselves in peril every time they go out to the ring, then you're crazy. Yeah, there's no union. There's no union. Uh, there is, you can't get the Lloyds of London thing because if you get the Lloyds of London thing, that means that if you get hurt, you get paid. That means that you can never work again, like in doing anything. So wrestlers have it really tough. And it's, you know, people say, yeah, it's scripted. It's not real. No, it's very real when you get hurt. And if you don't have a good company like the WWE that will pay some of your medical bills, maybe not all, but some, then you're screwed. It's a, it's really, really tough profession. So it's, uh, but here's the thing. Wrestlers just can continue to come back to it, knowing that they can incur all the risk, Lawrence. And that's the thing, like knowing that they want to be in the main event, they want to be the last match at WrestleMania, which doesn't mean much as much anymore. But just the idea that you could be on the main event of WrestleMania is the, is the goal all the bumps and bruises, they think it's worth it. And for some, it's not. Your knowledge of wrestling is encyclopedic. You have a history of this game going back a really long ways. Now that you've had ch a chance to like reflect on your childhood viewing through an adult lens, what performers are your favorite and why? Um, well, it starts with Nick Bockwinkle because my grandfather took me to the old International Amphitheater to see Bockwinkle. 
growing up on channel, the old Channel 26 um, in Chicago, we would see AWA wrestling. And Nick Bockwinkle was arrogant. He had all he had. He didn't have a robe. Had a towel that just said Hollywood on it. White towel, Hollywood. And his manager was Bobby the Brain Heenan, and he would use words that I had to go to the encyclopedia to find out at the time what those words meant. Um, but he had great prom promo skills, interview skills, and he was great in the ring. Um, during that time, the late 70s, early 80s, that's what wrestling was about. It was about the pure science, meaning that it would be almost flawless when you saw wrestlers in the ring. And so guys like Nick Bockwinkel, of course, um, uh, when I was growing up, and then when you and I both were able to get syndicated television, um, to see the NWA come into Chicago in 85, I saw Ric Flair for the first time. And I said, what is this? Robe, long flowing hair, the woo, and just can wrestle and can talk people into the building. So Ric Flair is right there in that conversation. Um, the Midnight Express, because I was a Jim Cornette fan before I you know he was using the N-word. Um, Jim Cornette, uh, along with uh, Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry, Stan Lane, I love that tag team. Um, so for me, it's always I've been the technical guys and the guys that can talk. Um, they were like superheroes to me when I, when I saw them when I was a kid. I was thinking about Owen Hart and us. Remember us having to go on the air and <sighs> like explain to less why we needed to be on the air after Owen Hart died, like trying to explain to him the importance of it, because you know how, how, when it, how it was back then, there's still people like, Oh, well, he didn't really die. No, he really died. He really died. And that was a, a thing. And then having to explain it as we've gotten older, we see a lot of those guys from our era of like really being into wrestling die in all sorts of tragic ways. Yeah. How do you deal with it? Cause, cause I swear, like sometimes I'll see old stuff and I get excited. Cause you know me, I was a Chris Benoit guy. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you watch some of those matches and you go, Oh, so how, how are you able to compartmentalize what happens to a lot of these guys with our enjoyment of the product? I guess the difference, Lawrence, is, is I'm not doing a show on wrestling five days a week. And so it's not like it's something that I'm watching on a regular basis. Like, you know what? I'm just going to get a wormhole of YouTube videos of Chris Benoit. You know, it's just like that doesn't strike me. But when you see uh, Dark Side of the Ring, the Vice documentaries, which were tremendous, by the way, uh, that documents the history of Chris Benoit, why he flipped the way he did, why he um, killed his wife and his child uh, at the same time. Um, that is interesting to me. And I can separate the art from the artist in that regard, meaning that I can see Benoit is a great wrestler. Um, I can see Owen Hart is a great wrestler and still be able to reflect back on what they did and then be able to know, hey, Owen Hart unfortunately took his life uh, or his life was taken away from him by the WWF at the time. Um, so I can able, I'm able to separate uh, both because it's nothing that I'm covering on a daily basis, right? If this is five or six days a week and we're doing shows on Owen Hart, Chris Benoit, Gino Hernandez, which is also another sad one, uh, Dino Bravo, Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero. But I mean, when you see it, you just remember. You rem I, for me, this is how I deal with it. 
I watch the highlights or whatever that comes up and then reflect, yeah, you know, he passed away, but boy, there was some great highlights. I think it's no different than when we look at athletes, right? It's, I think it's pretty much the same thing. We're sorry that they're passed away, but boy, they really gave us a thrill. Who do you like right now? You. Well, I don't do it. Well, I mean, I am playing a character. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, are you playing a character? Oh, sometimes. <laughs> I am. Is there anyone in the ring now that, that catches your eye that you go that you'll stop and, and give five minutes to? Uh, Maxwell J. Friedman. He's an AEW. He's old school. You would love Maxwell J. Friedman. On the old show, you would want MJ up on the show. Uh, he'll probably be featured on uh, Wednesday nights on AEW on TNT. How about how about wrestling back on TNT? Never thought I'd see that again. Crazy, right? Um, <laughs> like, how how is that? Do people remember the shit that we saw twenty years ago when it was at the end? Um, but MJF is is great because he's old school. Um, he's not a high flyer. He takes his time in the ring, and there's a whole bunch of high flyers down in wrestling where everyone's trying to flip flop and fly. MJF doesn't do that, and he is a great talker, and his tagline is something like, um, I'm the best and you know it, or something like that. It's just, he's only 23, Lawrence. He's only 23, and he's really, really good already. Hmm. All right, let's talk radio. I think that you're one of the best radio people that I've ever been around, and the reason why is that you have an incredible sense of sonics from your time producing. It was apparent what you do with your own voice, which I think is magical. Where did you develop that? Um, growing up and you know, I grew up with my grandparents and they're both from Arkansas and they grew up with the radio. And so since I grew up with them, in the mornings, they would have a radio on. They would have Drew Hayes on in the morning. They'd have Drew Hayes on. They'd have Mort Downey Jr. Um, uh, they'd have a number of people that they listened to. They listened to WVON. So I was able to understand the the how it's important to listen before speaking because radio is there for you to listen, to be able to pick up on cadence, to be able to pick up on style. And I didn't understand any of that as a kid, clearly. Like, what is the style of broadcast? You listen to Steve Dahl, you listen to Gary Meyer, and it was a style of broadcast that was different that caught your ear. And so for me, it was just about style of broadcast. It's like, boy, these guys are really funny, and the timing is is also something that's very important in the in business as well. So I just learned through osmosis, listening to those shows as a kid, growing up in the business and understanding timing, that um, everything is not a, a a fastball. If everything in radio was a fastball, then it'd be a, a major problem. Sometimes you have to throw the curve. Sometimes you have to throw a slider. Um, somebody in Good Karma asked me recently in our in our company, you know, with all this with George Floyd, how, how is it that you're just not angry and screaming and yelling the entire three hours of your show? And I told him, I said, well, that's not what we do. I said, I am angry, sure, I'm very disappointed, and it's just years and years of building up, but if I yelled about it for three hours, then the message would be lost. You have to come in and be able to understand, okay, here's what the topic is. I know how I feel about it. Maybe I am really pissed off after a beer's loss. 
but maybe I need to be more meticulous and make sure that people understand point by point what I mean. I can talk so fast that I go beyond my notes and beyond what I'm thinking and it will get lost in the conversation. It'll get lost to the listener. Sometimes you have to go fast and sometimes you have to take your time. You know this better than anybody that when people expect us to go off on certain topics, we can be more cerebral because we're giving the audience something that they didn't expect. Oh boy, when, when Lawrence comes on it, or he's going to be, no, no. Lawrence is going to be meticulous and take his time. And he's going to be able to tell you point by point why this loss took place. You'll get the blast later, but it may not happen when you want it. And so that also throws off the audience. You don't have to give the audience everything that you want. You can always do it in different ways. And I learned how to do that by listening to radio over the years. Your your ability to make radio theater, too, I think is one of the, the real strong points of your game. I feel I also feel like there were plenty of people early on in your career that didn't get it, that they didn't understand that you understood the bigness of doing a radio show and that sometimes you're going to do it just to entertain. So how do you get people to come around to that way of thinking? I mean, what are you now like 30 years in the game at this point? How how did you get people to, to come around to, that way of thinking and understanding how you're taking them on a journey from time to time. Like, obviously there's Jonathan with his notepad. There's, there's right. Jonathan with, with his yellow pad. That's going to break down what happened in the white Sox game, but there's also Jonathan that's going to to take you under the hood and we're going to have a good time and we're going to do all of this other stuff. I feel like it, it took people a long time to get what you were trying to do. I think so. Um, I was, okay, so coming off of producing Boards and Bernstein, where I was doing voices and doing entertainment, the reason why I had to do those things is because that show was tight. That was a problem. Uh, at the beginning of Boards and Bernstein, I was I turned to Matt Fishman when I was running the board and he was running the phones. I, t- I took my, half my headphone off. I go, this thing's not going to last. <laughs> because if you remember the changes at the time, not people were not happy with the changes. People were not happy that, Mike North was solo and that boards and Bernstein were together from eight to noon and all the changes that were happening. So um, I had to be able to do something to inject some humor in that show because Dan is Dan and Terry is humorous, but Terry didn't like the, I don't think like the changes at the beginning. So it was very tight. So I felt like that was my opportunity to say, Hey guys, let's mesh together. And if I'm doing skip carry impersonations or Hal McRae, whatever, we need to be able to have this show not be so fucking tight. It was a problem. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't sure because I just remember those first weeks where Dan would say something and Terry would say, Oh, you, you know, you're so, you're so brilliant. I don't know why you turned to me. I guess, you know, right. It, people don't remember that time. I produced that. I know it was bad. It was tough um, until they were able to mesh and understand that it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be able to, and I, I don't feel like I was the conduit to it, but I was a part of it because it was needed through sound bites and through comedy and through, things because we're on at eight o'clock we're coming off of murph and fred god knows at that point in time eight o'clock hey let's get some comedy in here let's do something a little bit different and so from there now i'm going into my shows on the weekends and my show that i did um in october of 2000 september of 2000 and so at that time especially when i started doing shows 
I was ready, but I just was doing it completely wrong, I thought, at the beginning. Because I thought the way Tommy Williams was doing broadcasting, I just thought, well, for me, I needed to just throw fastballs, which is the thing I said before. Sox games, just being pissed off after every loss, after every twin uh, victory against the White Sox, and just getting turned over the table on everything. And then mixing a, a little comedy in there, and it threw off the balance of the show off. Why is he so strong on the White Sox and going a million miles an hour, but then he's doing this comedy? There's got to be a balance. And so I think that at, once I got that balance, L, I think that that became better. How am I making doing an impersonation of Jerome Ginla, but yet shitting on the Cubs and White Sox in the same <laughs> same show a million miles an hour? You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't, because it's like, oh, there's funny guy, but then here's Hood that's really pissed off. So I don't think that my best time uh, in the business was 2000, 2001, 2002. I think that was tough because I was trying to find that counterbalance. And I think once I got that, I think the audience was able to settle in. What made it click? Um, Just realizing, like I said, that you cannot just be pissed off at every Sox uh, loss against the Twins. I bring that up because there was times where the, where the, the Twins were uh, – the hammer and the White Sox with the nail. Yep. And like the twins would just, and I would just get so upset and just get so angry. Uh, but I realized that, Hey, there's a different way to be able to do the broadcast. It's a different way to be able to, uh, to tell the audience how you feel without wa- turning the table over after every loss. Uh, I, I think some of my influence with that came from listening online and listening to a lot of stuff from New York and Boston to Philly. Cause I always thought, well, that's the way to do it. You know, every loss, you got to just scream for four hours and get phone calls. And I just thought, my, I think my style softened a little bit, not to the point where it's all jokes, but it just was a little bit of, okay, they lost, but let's see how they can be able to get better. And then you start to be a lot more mindful and more thoughtful of, this is a loss. This is a Bears loss. How can this team get better moving forward instead of, they lost, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. I think there's a way to be able to do that. This is going to be a weird question, but when you brought up New York and Philly, like I was thinking about it, I've always felt like whether it's 1000 or the score that the sports talk in Chicago overall, I'm not saying that there aren't some examples of this is different than that kind of fire breathing sports radio that we would get on the East coast. I don't have a reason why other than, each of us being influenced by the other. You know what I mean? Like, it's me looking at you being like, no, you don't have to, I don't have to take my shoe off and bang it on the table. Like every, every damn show. Like, I don't have to do that. Or like Jason looking at both of us and being like, no, there's a, a smoother way to do it. Yeah. Why does, why does Chicago sports radio, why is it different than some of the, the old school East coast type stuff? There's an anger. I think it's based on the fan base, right? So when we were coming up in the business, I remember Jigginson North being um, in the hallway waiting to get into the studio. At 10 o'clock, there would be six calls waiting after a Bears loss. Like, you don't get that today. Before you step in the studio, there's already six calls waiting for you. They're just waiting for to talk to you. That's hot. That's, that's, that's when you know that you've made it, that people know you're coming on. 9.59, before your show comes on, people are waiting for you. So that, that's pretty strong. 
And the callers would have their anger and be disappointed and be upset. Um, but it's not the same level as a Eagles loss, a Yankee loss, or a Mets loss. Turn on turn on radio.com on WFAN, just any random random July night, overnight. Going, you know, you're taking a piss, you turn on the radio.com app, and there's you know, Steve Summers or there's whatever the overnight guy is. And there's a guy that's been walking the halls all night to get on. And it's 2.30 in the morning. He goes, I'm just really disappointed at 3-2 pitch. I don't know what we're going to do. But at 3-2 pitch, I mean, it was right there. And then he missed it and he went over the fence. And I told my kid, I said, I don't know what to do. I mean, he's crying and I'm upset. And now I can't get my kid to go to sleep. And I just wanted to call you. I mean, that passion right there is a lot different than it is in the Midwest and Philly, New York, Boston, they still have that. And I think it's because of the environment. I think it's because it's cultural, but we're, we're Chicago sports fans. We get upset after losses too, but we're not trying to, t- t- you know, torch our house down after a loss, <laughs> but people I think out East will do that sometimes because of the passion. It's a different type of passion here. I think. Yeah. I, I think you're right. It's, it's a strange thing. I think that, that you played a big role, and I think even Boers and Bernstein, to a certain extent, played a big role in, like, we could have some fun with it. Like, we can mm-hmm. we can talk about how ridiculous it was that the Bears lost or the White Sox blew a six-run lead in the ninth, like, that sort of thing. But I remember being at the Final Four in Atlanta in 2000, mm-hmm. I think 2012. Me and Zach are doing shows. Zach, you know, he... He said, hey, you know who that is? You know who that is? It's, that's doing the show next to us. I'm like, I don't I don't know. It was Joe Benigno. And, uh. and everything that you said is exactly what was happening with him, where he's pacing up and down Radio Row, and yeah. he's putting on the headset, and he's, he was super nice. Like, when we met him, he was super nice, and he was very normal. The, the light went on, and he just started throwing flames. It was <laughs> right. just like, I looked over, and I was like, what is he screaming about? And why yeah. is he screaming right now? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember I, it's so funny that you say that, because the guy that works on uh, CBS Sports Radio, what is his name that does Afternoon Drive? Uh I, okay, oh, uh, Brandon Tierney. Yeah, BT. 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 It's so funny that you say the Final Four, because at this at the same station at the score, 2003, I'm doing a solo weekend show uh, at the Final Four. So solo weekend show. There's probably nobody in that in this radio radio room, right? Uh, and it's just me and BT. BT is on the other side of the room, and I'm here representing the score. And he would just yell into the mic, BT, back with you here on the fan, 877, you know, and just doing his number, right? And he, it's bleeding over while I'm trying to broadcast here talking about the Cubs or whatever. And he knew it was bleeding over. So I just, like, I told whoever was producing, I was like, hold on a second. Let's wait till he goes to break, right? And then, like, he goes to break. And then he comes back. And I go, he's back now. Welcome back to the score. Cubs are in Chicago. It's unbelievable. What's happening with the Cubs and Cardinals? The Cubs get it, and, I, and he just looks over because I'm bleeding through the New York radio. <laughs> and he just, he just, uh, he just looks over at me, and like he's so pissed off, like this motherfucker, like, 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 hey, I tell you what, this Cubs team, 
It's got to get better. I'm telling you right now. Let's hope for the phone line. 644-67. Like, so I'm doing that, right? So <laughs> so we're both in. Somehow we both in like at 4 o'clock, whatever city we were in. He just looks over as I'm packing up my bag. He looks like over BC. He looks over and goes, good. It's good, huh? Good. And he just like walks off, right? Because he knows I got him. Looks like he got me. I'm like, why are you screaming about the Yankees? I'm doing, We're both here in Radio Row. Do you have to scream about the Yankees? Like, oh, you want to scream about the Yankees? I'm going to scream about the Cubs and the Bears. That way your New York audience knows that I'm on. Yeah. Like, for no reason. It's just you know? so odd. Whenever I go travel and I'm just like, what? Like, it happened at the Super Bowl this year, too, where I'm doing my little show in the back of the of Radio Row, and I had, like, a great setup. And as the week was going on, you see everyone kind of from all over the country rock in his station in Tampa. They're there, yeah. like, all this stuff. And you see kind of these pockets of how people think sports radio is supposed to go. And you're like, man, you don't have to do it that way if you don't want to. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You don't have to do the screaming thing like all man. the time, man. I just, I just, it is amazing. And I love Radio Row. I know, I know a lot of hosts don't. I just like it just to people watch and just watch the styles when I'm when I'm not on and just kind of walk in the aisles and just watch. You know, I remember on a Radio Row. I think this is in New Orleans. In a in a row, Jim Rome, two live stews. Francesa. Wow. You talk about three different styles and all these shows are at the same time, right? It's like, you know, Jim Rohn's clothes. What's up? Clothes. So he's doing like his West Coast thing, right? And then you got the stews from Atlanta. And then you got the dogs thing going and they're barking the entire show. Then you have Francesa over here upset because like, I don't know what these guys are walking for uh, back after this. You know, like, <laughs> it's just like all three, like all three of these shows, right? All the, I was just like, it's just a melting pot, Lord. It's just a melting pot of entertainment where all these people do it differently. I, uh, Rod Brooks at KNBR, brother over there at KNBR in San Francisco, he looked like he was like he was rocking back and forth, like itching. He's like, what's up? Come on, the Giants. Give me your thoughts on the Giants. Man, it's, it's off the hook. And it's just like, and I asked Jason, I was like, because golfers, I mean, I was like, what's up with this dude? He's like, man, that's how they roll in the Frisco, man. I'm about to get a smoke. I'll be right back. He's just like, <laughs> so, so, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's just, I, cause I didn't see anything like that. Like, why is this dude like rocking back and forth with the mic in San Francisco? I'm like, okay, we all do it differently. I just, I just believe that you don't have to go over the top. There's a way to be able to, to harness all of it. I think at one point, what was the transition like for you? to be a hyper-local host, you know, doing all the stuff that's going on in Chicago, and then finding your your niche nationally and doing a little bit of everything. How hard of a transition was that? It was easy for me because that was the goal. Um, when I was, uh, when my contract was not renewed by Mitch uh, in the score in August of 2005, when I knew that I was going to go to ESPN, the goal was not to get to ESPN 1000. The goal was to be able to get there nationally, to use the 1000 platform to get there nationally. It's what I wanted to do. I've been wanting to do that for a long time. Um, and, and the reason why is because there are more topics and it's more of a challenge for me. Chicago sports is a challenge in itself, but to be able to do more, to be like, okay, I know I've mastered this. 
I know I got to get, get, continue to get better on the local platform, but what if the two biggest words in our business is what if, right? What if I decided to take my talents nationally and see how it would work? Uh, I remember that first show I did with JD. JD was already establishing it for about six months to a year. And the network thought it would be best if I worked with JD. I was so nervous. I was really pacing. that surprises me. Yeah, I was really nervous. I was really nervous because and and it's a it's a positive because when you're nervous, that means you really want it and you really want to do well. Uh, I hadn't been nervous uh, about an air shift since the nineties. And so mm-hmm. for me to be able to go into uh, ESPN radio, I'm like, okay, this is what I've always wanted. Oh, I can't screw this up. And I was just like pacing and just like going back and forth. And JD was like, you good? I'll go. Yep. Yep. Ready to go. Uh, Ravens. Yep. Ready. Yep. We're going to Ravens. Oh, ready to go. And it's just like, I, I didn't want to let him, you know, see me sweat. But I, I wanted it so badly that I got so nervous. And and I started off the first couple of segments speaking in sound bites, right? I would just like talk like in 15 second intervals. And JD was just like, all right. So we'll just, because I, I didn't want to screw it up. Whatever it was, I wanted to make sure that it was succinct and it was right. It was bullet pointed. And so um, being at ESPN is what I've always wanted to do once I left the score. I want to be on the national platform. So that's why I was so nervous and so itchy. Uh, and so it's, that wasn't a, a hard transition, L, because it's what I wanted to do. What's preparing a national show like versus preparing a local one? A national show is a lot of people coming in, three producers, the host that you're working with, and it is a sense of community where they can look at ESPN.com, look at blogs, look at websites, and try to figure out what's the thing that is trending the most. What's the thing that's the hottest story? It, it, now, the difference between local and, and uh, national in that regard is that locally, we know what the stories are. Mm-hmm. Nationally, sometimes you got to kind of dig through it a little bit, especially during this time. Dig through those stories to find out, okay, what's the number one thing people are talking about? What's two? What's three? What is best? How it's slotted? If you and I are doing a show, it's like, okay, so baseball's back, Cubs socks. What does this mean for David Ross? You know, do we put the pressure on David Ross now or do we wait till next year with the 60 games? Sox, do we uh, set the clock now or do we set it in 2021? Bears, is this the end for Ryan Pace if the Bears underachieve? I mean, all this stuff, right? We, off the top of our head in Chicago, we know the topics. Nationally, it's a little bit more of a community when you are able to come together and say, okay, what's the big topic and what can we do differently than the other shows? And what sound can we be able to implement in that to make sure that we accentuate our point? And do we take calls? Do we not take calls? It's a lot of different components, and it's really comfortable. It was different, and a good different, where the ESPN machine and everyone comes together and says, we're going to put this show together. And if we've got to be able to take a segment out and do something else, we do. What guest works well with this segment? And those are things that... Um, that I like the most when everyone can come together to come together with, um, with topics, ideas, a melting pot, and then put a show together. Is it what you thought it would be? Um, I thought it would be big. I didn't know how big, right? I knew, I knew it'd be different from the local. <laughs> I knew that. I didn't know how big it would be. Um, I knew it was the ultimate. So I knew it had to be the best. If you're a, if you're a network, you know it's going to be great. They've been in business since 79, so you thought it'd be – I think they know what they're doing. 
Yeah. But but you know how it is. Like sometimes you get the thing that you really, really want and you go, Oh, oh. Oh, I I've heard this uh the book a friend of mine gave me where the concept is like you get to the top of a mountain and then you go, Oh look, there's another mountain over there. Over then I wonder what that's like over there. And I I wonder about that too. Like there there are times where I go, did I stay too long? Like, did I did I stay too long at the score? Should I have been out exploring? And I mean, not that I was. I mean, I was doing exploration with television stuff and national stuff on TV. But I often wonder about that. Like, I look over at your fence and I look over at JD's fence and I go, huh. I look at Sarah Spain and I go, I wonder what that's like. Like, I wonder if if all of those people end up happy with doing the national thing and still getting to live in the city that you want to live in. Like that's crazy it. to me. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But that's, well, that says a lot for technology, right? Right. Um, I, I'm not, you don't see my bags packed that says Hartford on the suitcase. There's a reason I, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not living in Southington for a reason. I'm li- I'm living here and still being able to live the dream that I've wanted to live. Um, I love it. I love it because I'm able to, to have my dream, original dream, to be able to do sports talk in Chicago. As I sat there at the Jewel Osco on South Chicago and Commercial and opened up the, the newspaper and saw Robert Feeder says, sports radio station coming to Chicago at 8.20 a.m. And I looked down, I looked at the column and I thought, man, I want to be part of that. That sounds fun. And so from that dream to be able to be in the tentacles in the company and being on ESPN radio, it's, it's what I want to do. So I'm actually living the life that I want to live both dreams and it's your show, but I, I have, I must say that uh, with the radio.com and the uh, CBS radio brand, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised that you're not taking your talents nationally and be able to do the same because you have a lot more to say than in, in your space. You have a lot more things and a lot more commentary, but that's just me. Well, I, I thank you for saying that. And I there's definitely some truth to it, that there are some things. I'll, I'll say this much. I'm really happy that there was a, a change of leadership at our place because the stuff that I've been doing is the stuff that Jason was doing, the stuff that you were doing, stuff that I was doing before. And it's been welcomed. Like I actually had the person who who is is Mitch's boss actually sent me an email and was like, I really enjoyed what you did talking about George Floyd and the protest. Like that's something that three years ago would have never happened, that there would have been a reprimand for it. You know, I would have had to literally risk my career to to do some of those things. And I definitely have. You You would have been sleeping with the fishes. Fam. (laughs) <laughs> literally people don't even people don't even know like that actually well, you know you hear things you know you, absolutely you hear things so it's it's nice to have that space you know what i found really cool is there's always been this this idea that if you ever wanted to take discussions in a different direction that there was going to be some sort of white flight from the show that people were, didn't want to hear it. I've been really encouraged by people 
leaning into the discomfort and being okay with talking about subjects that it's a strange thing to say that that they feel like is a safer it's a safer space to do it inside the context of sports like for example there were people i was talking about the tulsa massacre there's so many people who had no idea what i was talking about and over the 20 minutes that i explained what was going on i have people texting tweeting me saying how did i not know this how was this not taught to me so i i take a lot of i take a lot of pride in the fact that at least over the last few weeks i don't want to say it's a full blown awakening cuz i'm sure there are people that hate it but there are so many people that are in a position where they can be turned and they're they're leaning into that turn and they're like i want to know more like why why are these things happening why what are the things that i don't know and i've been impressed by that like it's not something that i would ordinarily think of the the stereotypical sports radio audience being willing to not just accept but dig into i mm-hmm. i've been really impressed that, and i'm happy that nationally that that the mandates that that used to be on ESPN people don't seem like they're there either cuz now i'm hearing people just really whether it's Freddie or you or or Maria Taylor like people doing heavy lifting when it comes to these subjects and it being more readily accepted than ever before it's a sea change that's happening it's a sea change and it took it took a long time but it's happening I think that this is the real test of people, Lawrence, that say that um, that we should stick to sports, especially you, people that look like you and I. We should just stick to sports, stick to, you know, just shut up and dribble, um, because it just shows that if there's something interesting, there is no stick to sports. See, here's what happened. When you have a president as polarizing as, as President Trump is, that brings up sports topics like Colin Kaepernick and kneeling. There's the intersection right there of sports and politics. Now, ESPN has always had this cloud over it, like, oh, ESPN is too political. No, it's, it's, not, it's not political. Uh, it's social. It just shows the ignorance of so many people that don't understand that when we talk about George Floyd, it's not politics. It's, when we talk about Colin Kaepernick kneeling, it's social. Social is not politics. Social is talking about things that make some people uncomfortable, like race, talking about communities, things like that. And politics is talking about the legislation that's happening at the White House, what's happening in Congress. Well, I'm definitely not going to talk about that. I'm definitely not talking about that. And I am comfortable in the social space. I've been Black all my life. Why wouldn't I talk about the social space? It was interesting during the George Floyd to be able to do three hours of shows just on George Floyd and talking about what's happening in certain communities. I'm proud of the show that I did, talking to people in Minneapolis and in Columbus and Los Angeles, New York, to find out what's going on. It wasn't sports, but it, but it's okay because socially, this if sports also intersects with pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. This is something what's going on. We're talking about it, right? And, and people also have to understand. I've been saying this for a long time. Some people get it, some people don't. Sports is on the entertainment tree, right? I mean, there's a lot of levels of entertainment. There's there's music, there's there's news, there's all. But sports also is part of the entertainment tree, 
And so if, because you are here to be entertained, sports is on that tree, but also social justice is on that tree because it's part of pop culture. It's all part of it. And so it's, I think, um, I think people, especially now 2020, they can't turn a blind eye to it because if you support President Trump, you know that he's talking about sports. He's talking about Kaepernick. He's talking about kneeling. So that's part of the sports context. Actually, I don't need the president to, for me to talk about it, but I'm just saying that because of it, when people say stick to sports, well, you have someone that's talking about a sports topic in, in a certain way. Do you, because everyone kind of thought, even at when you were at the score, that you'd make an excellent program director. Do you want to run a station? Yes. Okay, so it's still on your list of things to do. Yes. When I'm, uh, when I'm retired, um, I would like to be able to run a radio station, yes. When, once I'm hanging up the headphones, I would like to be able to do that. Um, and when you talk about being underserved, it's Terry Fox and who in our business on the sports side running stations. There is no one else. Uh, I would like to be able to implement, and because – I think the closest thing to that right now is me working at LR Media School when I'm there talking to kids. I was going to ask you about that that impact that it had on yeah. you. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just being able to listen to air checks and let kids know you're on the right track or, man, I really like your show or you need to fine-tune this. I think that that is kind of my introduction into eventually being a program director by able to uh, being able to talk to young people about the business, what the business was, what the business is now. And, and so at some point, yeah, I'd love to do that. How do you think those, those students impacted you? Oh, I, I would say that um, they impact me because it gives me, some of them give me hope that the business is going to be okay once I leave it. Um, and I say some of them because there's no Lawrence Holmes, Jason Goff, uh, Spiegel, whoever that's in Illinois Media School right now. You know, that they have to continue to fine tune and work on their craft in order for them to be as good as we are or others in our business. So to me, it just, Lawrence, it just gives me hope. There's always these levels in classes. You know this at DePaul as well, right? There are those that get it, those that are going to get it, and those that are never going to get it, right? You can see in the, first, in the two-thirds of a lot of classes that, hey, I can see this person in this market. In my mind, I'm like, that person... Milwaukee, that person, mm, LA, that person, the style, New York, that style, Dallas. You can you can see it because of the experience that we've had uh, in the business. So that that gives me solace when I'm able to work with students on a monthly basis. It gives me solace, like okay, the business could be really in good hands if they uh, if programmers leave them alone and let them be able to be themselves. There's nothing better than when you have a student. And you can talk with them. They have a question about what, what it is that they're doing. And you give them advice. And then they implement it. And they go, oh. And, and they see what you were talking about. That moment of discovery when they realize that the person that's talking to them actually under, understands what they're doing. And then they see it play out for themselves. Oh, my God. I love that moment. Like I, I love when the light clicks on for a student and you and th their whole world opens up to their own potential. Yes. Oh, absolutely. 
they, when someone starts off and they figure, oh, my show's not very good. I said, no, it's about reps. It's about reps. Don't quit though, because I see something in you that's going to be really, really good. The way you set up that topic, the way you research that topic, you care. So now that you care, now I have to mold and shape you to be able to be the best broadcaster that you can be. Uh, it, it's not necessarily about style. It's about trying to enhance their style, right? It's about being able to um, accentuate the positives and hide the negatives of any broadcaster and say, get rid of the bad stuff. Let's add more of the good stuff. And that's that's what's fulfilling to me because it's me giving back to to our business. I could be selfish and just be at the crib and just be like, <laughs> ah, another check, stacking the checks on the on the de- on the uh, the dresser. But I think it's just best for me to be able to give up, give back because it's a business that I love so much that I want them to love it too. Who do you listen to now, and why do you listen to them? House of L. Damn, House of L. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I was in tears listening to Jordan Cornette. Well, I tell you right now, yeah. DC, that was my favorite right there. To have him broke down so I could just continue just text him. <laughs> just talk about, you broke down on House of Hell. I heard you. Yes, I heard you. They got me out here like I'm Roy Firestone or something, man. Uh, <laughs> well, well kind of are. I mean, you guys, you, you're not going to get me to cry. No, today, I'm no? not. I'm not. In, I'm not. It, I mean, it happened very organically when we yeah. were sitting there, me and Jordan, and I knew the story because we had worked together at 120, and yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. You broke him down. That was not right. All that right. That wasn't right. So beyond me making people cry on oh. on the podcast, oh. who do you like to listen to? I like listening to, well, I did like listening to Will Kane. Will Kane because he was different. I don't want to listen to an echo chamber. I want somebody to make me think, is this guy really full of shit? Or is this guy really making a good point? Is he doing a radio trick or does he really believe it? And so Will Kane was always these mirrors of questions, right? We weren't sure exactly where he was coming from, but then when you listen to it, it's like, okay, he really believes that. So I like Will Kane when he's working at our company on the network side. I still listen to Colin. I give him some time every day. Um, why? What, what is about Colin that you like? Uh, topic structure. Hmm. Topic structure starts off by saying, "What's up to Joy Taylor?" And you know, listen, I, who doesn't like Joy Taylor? She's great. I mean, she's she's tremendous. So, what? You know, Joy Taylor, and then he starts into his topic, and he does two topics per segment. Has a guest, and I just the way like the way he's able to line that. Now, here's the thing: I may not agree with what Colin says all the time. But just the topic structure of being able to say, okay, I'm going to talk about uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, I think he's good. You know, and just kind of just go into that and give you the reasons why. This is where you get locally and a lot definitely on the national side, the research that comes in. He has all these stats that back up his claim. And it might be like an ass backwards claim, but the stats back up his, his thoughts, his rants. And I think that, that that's always entertaining for me. It may not be everything I like about his show, but definitely the topic structure. I do like that a lot. Hmm. It's interesting that you chose two people that I think most people would go, Jonathan listens to Will Kane and to Colin Cowherd. But I think mm-hmm. that you explain why and why all of us need to draw from like different places that, that we find inspiration in all sorts of different places. When you were younger and you were listening to people, what was that variety pack of 
of of radio listening like for you? Well, that starts with Chet, right? It starts with Chet because he was the godfather of all of it. It's not just a moniker. The guy was one of the first to do the sports radio format. And so I, I didn't think see myself being doing that style, but it kind of was in that he had a lot of guests and would butter up the guests and make the guests feel good. And when the guests felt good, then he could ask any of these sly questions and try to get news out of those questions. There was a, a method to Chet's madness in that regard, right? Just like these five, six minutes seemingly opens of trying to introduce Pistons coach Brendan Sir, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it, it makes no sense. Like, 30 seconds is the assistant coach for, for the Pistons, Brendan Sir, Brendan, how are you? I mean, right? Now it's just like, oh, Brendan, you talk about a guy that knows his X's and O's. My gosh. You talk about a guy that worked with Chuck Daly, two championships. My gosh. You talk about a guy. I mean, just all that, right? It just, and like the guy is just all buttered up and just feels good and just like, ah, oh, Chet, thanks for having me on. And then you start asking like soft questions and you ask the hard questions. And then some of those hard questions, you start to get some news out of it. And he did that, in, I thought, very, very well. Um, that was uh, number one. Um, trying to think a lot of it was news though l um yeah but i feel like there's a lot of fm in you too though like there's a the the way that you go about doing a show like it feels it feels like a a guy that listened to like morning urban morning zoos back in the day and was able to take the (laughs) the best the best parts of those and kind of throw it into a bag so that that when you had all of like for example i think about um I think about even the way that you would use like for the Jetsons sound effect like mm-hmm. that, that, that screams GCI in the eighties. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like being able to, to play around with the art a little bit. Well, we were getting calls, uh, getting first time callers. Everybody had a gimmick, right? So why can't it mind be the Jetsons doorbell? Da, 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 da. You I mean, know? it's great. It's, it's, it's a- it's subtle, right? It's, but it's just a thing, right? It just, but a lot of that is when you would hear like Doug Banks and his style and just hear, as I mentioned, a lot of news talk too. Like I listened to Ty Wansley when I was a kid, mm. late Ty Wansley. I mean, Wansley was smooth on the art. My first internship was at WBON. A lot of people don't know that before the score. I worked at VON and the program director, uh, no, the news director there, um, she told me, she's like, Hey, um, is this your first week? I was like, yeah. She said, well, I'm going to just teach you everything you need to know about the news and the traffic because I'm going on vacation next week. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) He gave me this. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, You know, so there I am on 33rd and Cicero, whatever the old station was, and I'm learning the business uh, in a crash course in a week. But I learned, like, Wansley was smooth with it, man. Just the, the conversation um, listen to Doug Banks, obviously, as a kid, shed on the sports. So it was a mishmash of a lot of different influences. Don Bogle, Don Bogle, who um, Ro Khan produced for. You should ask Ro if you ever have Ro on about Don Bogle. Don Bogle was great with voices, great with sound. He was blind and did middays. He was a blind man, but did radio. And he would like do impersonations and do stuff like that. Um, he's very entertaining. And very good with sound. So all these influences are just a big mix of what I've done over the years. You were a great producer. What does it take to produce you? Being intellectually curious. 
if if you are a producer and not asking your host what's on your mind today, then you're not really doing the job well. You're just pushing buttons and you're answering phones. That's just two thirds of the job. Um, we are not getting enough of producers that are intellectually curious. They have to be taught that first. I think that, I mean, that's not inherent for everybody at all. That has to be taught um, by the higher ups at radio stations. If I'm a programmer, I'm telling the producer, you have to be curious about what your host is doing. Your host might be an asshole. Your host might be hungover. Your host might be a, a great guy or, or somewhere in between. But either way, you have to be connected to that host where you're t nowadays, you're taking care of that host social media. You're taking care of that host needs as far as guests, topic ideas, and to be able to tell that host when he's wrong and not be a yes man. Um, so intellectually curious is something that uh, I think is something important if you're going to be a producer, because some of the best producers, you and I, can be great hosts. But it starts from being on the other side of the glass, listening and being curious about the content, not just for the day, but every day. When it came to dealing with sound, like you putting together opens, like we there's been a great run of people specifically that worked with Dan Bernstein that made sound great Spiegel you Jason Tannehill who I think is just I'm blown away by what he does from oh, yeah. a, a sound standpoint like I, I'm just absolutely blown away by it how important was sound and what type of steps did you have to take for people who don't who, who didn't live through that era of sports talk radio to be able to put those masterpieces together well, let's let's start from where I started producing. I produced Mike Murphy, and that is a wall of sound, right? Yep. That's a that's okay. So that so you're already immersed in sound when you work with Mike Murphy. Give me this sound bite, Jerome. Hey, give me this little thing from Angus and Andy. Hey, give me this little sound bite. Hey, how about earnings in '59? All, all this stuff, right? So you're already immersed in. A lot of sound that you really don't need, but it's what he wants. And so even though you may not understand it, but why he wants to use it and why it's 20 years or 25 years out, date, out, out of date, he won't. Wait, you just went away for a second. I can't hear you anymore. I'm right here. Oh, there you go. Sorry. That must have been. Right oh, it was my connection that was unstable. I'm seeing now. It's the south yeah. side, man. It's great. Yeah, well, hell good. This is what happens when you try to be the first to regentrify. So, so, anyway, so anyway, nobody told you to move over there. Here's what I'm gonna do, Mel. I'm gonna move over here. We're gonna go. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be out here with the the with the broom and the shovel. I'll, I'll I'll shovel up the old broken glass and the cool menthol cigarettes. It's all right. It's worked Ranger out. Ranger will take care of me. <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah, so, so, so anyway, nobody told you to move over there. So anyway, you can't wait a minute. Don't blame, don't blame, don't blame the area. You moved over there. If you stayed around DePaul, this wouldn't be a problem. Nice and but clean. Anyway, so, <laughs> if you, you would have stayed up north, there'd been five, but no. Look at you. I can, I can clean up the neighborhood. 
yeah, okay. Hood, I almost ran for alderman, man. I was getting so mad. I mean, <laughs> I was getting so mad. Like, well, three of the last four aldermen for the 20th Ward were indicted. Three yeah. of the last four. Yeah. Thank God we got Jeanette Taylor now, but uh-huh. I was literally, I literally was taking meetings with people like, what would it actually take for me to be the alderman of the 20th Ward? Because some shit has got to change over here. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody told you. I told you. Ah, you know, the neighborhood's coming back. You know. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Bishop Brazier is doing a great job. All right. I don't want to care about Brazier. All right. I don't want to care about old man Brazier. He, he doesn't. He's in Florida. Happy. Away from you you people. Anyway. Why? So, hood. Why, why is Willie Wilson on my TV still? Why is he running again? And I laugh every time. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like, you got all the money in the world. Like, you are, you are an American success story. Why in the world are you still out here talking about, hi, I'm Willie Wilson. And if you want change, you should. Say, and then giving people like $100 bills and stuff to go vote for. Like, I, I, like I, what is happening? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. He did try and it helped the community. Um, but anyway, nonetheless, I I just I don't know. But uh, don't be. But the, the point is, stop blaming the community for your bad connection. Sorry. Because but, hey, nobody told you to move over there by the L tracks. Nobody told you to go over there. Why is it so dark when you get to Halston? Anyway, so. <laughs> you, you, so you were fine. You and Lazarada were fine in DePaul. We nice were. connection. He got married. I had to leave. Yeah, he didn't have. You didn't. You were just fine at DePaul. You know, dancing on bars. Yeah. But anyway, so a long time ago. Well, I just let's let's not talk about the. So, me take you out of a, huh? Well, what, what was your question? I was asking about sound and putting together oh. opens. That oh, yes. before we got See, sidetracked you. by Bishop Brazier in the South Side. See, I told you I get older. I forget now. I forget certain things. So you dancing on the bar. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. So, let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about it. Because people you. people won't believe it. Like they won't they won't believe it. I need to show that more to people. That like that side of my personality needs to come out more. Well, the only thing is is that we work at different stations, so I have all the stories in a vault. I know See, you nobody do. I was I was with you, so. I mean, I people act like they won't get grabbed. You'll still get grabbed. I've yes, I understand. I understand. The sound piece came from working with Mike Murphy, you see, and then working with Boys and Bernstein. It was a blank slate because it was a new show. So I was able to implement sound that way because Fishman and I would come together and figure out what's best for the show. Again, it's a new show, so it started that way. But remember. My upbringing came from Murphy working with a lot of different sound that didn't make a lot of sense. But his whole idea was old school radio, where it's got to be more than the voice. It's got to be music underneath. It's got to be the crack of the bat at the top of the hour. It's a cuckoo clock. It's all these different things because you just want the audience to be part of the show and say, hey, when I hear this show, this when I hear these sounds, this definitely is the Murphy show. And so that's that's where it started. And then, of course, 
I brought a lot of that to my shows as well in believing that certain sound matters. Um, and I will give Russ Matera a lot of credit too. Russ, Russ is um, really a big part of my, um, I guess my success in the business from a production standpoint because he was so good at putting together uh, sound bites and opens and closes, my opens. He was really good at that early in my career. He's he's a backbone of the station that people don't even know. You know what I mean? Because he's behind yeah. the scenes, even though you've heard his voice for damn near 30 years at, yeah. at the score at this point. He's such a and he's such a great guy. I love Russ Matera. Me great too. Guy. On top of being incredibly good at his job, he's also a, a, an incredible human being, which is which is uh, a lot, which is really important these days. Is there anything else you you like to talk about? Anything else you want to say? Oh, that's plenty to say, but I don't I don't know how you know how your connection is over there. You know, it's a little difficult there <laughs> on the other side of the tracks. You know, all the all the burned out you know issues you have over there. You know, I don't know. It might be some hype that's climbing the. <laughs> Climb the pole trying to oh, yeah. disconnect this this podcast. So. Well, wait. There is one more thing I want to ask you. I want. I do want to ask you about like being able, like the freedom, to do stuff that you weren't able to do. Like, I don't know if score listeners even understand how much you love college football, and in a market like Chicago, where it's not. I mean, it's important, but it's not Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, or even Blackhawks. The freedom that you must feel now doing specialty shows. Like, I'd be driving around on Saturdays, and you'd be like, yeah, we're going to go around the country, and we're going to talk about every game that's going on right now. How vindicated do you feel knowing that those things that you enjoy, that there was a place to share all of those things? Well, it's great. Well, going back to that time working with Steve Silverman, that was a show where – um, at the score, we had the five hours to fill after Illinois football. And I'm like, if we're coming out of Illinois football, why don't we talk college football and then kind of parlay into the NFL? Um, we want to make sure that we had a great show leading into me and Z. That was, a, that was our important thing that we had to lead. That we we want to make important. sure. Yes. Uh, yes. We want to make sure that the ratings were high for me and Z. Yes. You know, before, so. before Zan Pillow could talk about ass hammers and all sorts of other stuff. <laughs> so, no, that was the whole idea of it. Like, if we're coming out of Illinois, then what are we going to do? So we should talk college football, make it out of a college football show. Um, we finally got it sponsored when I was at the score. Um, Silverman was a great – he was a great partner because he was an innings eater, you know. You throw it to, to Steve, he talked for five minutes while I'm watching highlights, right, and watching the game. I could pick it up from there. We go – and the whole idea was through uh, Joe Ostrowski, who was producing for us at the time, having stringers, right, having stringers around the country. Miak, Swack, little Big Ten, Solid. little Pac-12. Oh, it was, ter- it was tremendous. We had a lot of fun with it because it was different. Also, also, the reason why I got into college football so heavy at the station and, and now is because it helps me with the draft. How many how many assholes come on your show and say, how come the Bears didn't get my guy? How come you didn't get – you haven't spent one minute watching college football, but yet he's your guy. Well, I'm watching every Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 o'clock in the morning. I know exactly what who these guys are because it gets me better prepared. And that's ultimately what we are as hosts, right, to be prepared. So it, even when, if I'm as an NFL fan 
if I have to watch college to be able to understand how good these players are, I'm going to have to watch it because it's all about research. It's all about trying to keep, just throw yourself into it. And so that way you're better prepared instead of being the guy that hates college football, but knows the guy that they want it. It's nonsense. The guy that parachutes in at the oh. draft after not watching one down of college football. It's the worst. It's the worst. I hate college football. It's too long. Four hours. Look, college football to me is the pageantry of it is great. Cheerleaders, fans are into it. And just like on the East coast with the pro teams, have a team in college lose. They have shuttered the, the whole city down for the whole week. Auburn, you know, uh, uh, Mississippi, Mississippi state, a lot of these schools, right? When they lose, it's a wrap. Don't look for me until the next Saturday. I love that passion because those people finally come out and call Paul Feinbaum. Paul, I don't understand why. And people start crying about their teams openly. It's great. You love that passion. You get more passion in college sports than you do in the pros sometimes. Well, Jonathan, this was a treat, man. I really appreciate you being available and, and us being able to talk about the business and everything else. This is a lot of fun, man, because it's, your success is inspiring. It really is. And and not just to me, like to a lot of broadcasters, like seeing you persevere and seeing you win is really important. So keep winning because it's helping all of us that you're out here winning. We're all winning, Lawrence. We're all winning. You have a pod, very successful podcast, radio.com. You have a show, a show that the previous regime wouldn't want you to have. She's just, I, I want people to understand if you haven't heard anything that we, the nonsense that I've said and what I've talked about, understand that Lawrence is able to do the show that he's really wanted to do. And that is really important to me because I've supported you forever. Yep. It's important not just to have a, uh, have a show. I got a slot. Okay. Everyone has, you know, people get a show in a slot. If you do a podcast and be able to have a, a slot say, well, my show drops at this time. That's my slot. But when you have a show in which you have full autonomy of that show, and no one breathing over your neck, you able to do what you want to do on that show, be able to bring the topics that you want to bring and win and be interesting at it. That's the thing that I take solace in. That's the thing that's important, that you're having fun in it and doing what you want to do. Um, I think everybody should uh, think about that in the job and the walk of life that they have. I appreciate you, my man. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Don't forget now, part two, I'll do the voiceover. Just move aside. Here. Okay, go, go ahead. Part two of House of L with Jonathan Hood. When we talk about Lawrence's dating, his issues with dating, also we'll talk about him, uh, his, his drunken days, his drunken single days, <laughs> dancing on bars. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll delve into those things and a lot more. Also, we'll talk about Lawrence, uh, not almost get fired once, but twice yep. uh, before the calendar turned to 2000. We'll talk about those issues uh, on the next House of L Part 2 Electric Boogaloo. Make sure that you're with us now because these are some really interesting times here uh, with Lawrence pretty much living his life like a Lifetime movie at some point. So let's make sure that we get into that as well. I, I think that what I need to do is occasionally I do a flip episode where... Someone interviews me. 
I think that you need to be on the list for one of those episodes where you you come in with your fucking cue cards and you're like, all right, uh, let's let's talk about this. What happened that time with her and how, how did that affect you? That's what I'm looking forward to. Well, I don't think you want me to go through because I, I, I have the vault. See, I know. I have it all. I know. I definitely don't. The people might, but I definitely don't. Yeah, you don't. I mean, people, if you really knew what I knew, the things I've seen. Uh, yes. Also, part of that, we will talk about Mike Tyson and why Mike Tyson uh, <laughs> was, was someone that we ran out of a Las Vegas casino. Uh, we, it was an issue. Holy we shit. We with. didn't even tell the Suge Knight story. That'll be on the flip. Okay, all right, we, we, we need to tell that one. <laughs> like, oh, look, it's Suge Knight. Don't go yeah. over there, Lawrence. That's Suge Knight. What's he going to do? Yeah. Shoot us in the airport? Yeah, that's not good. So I'll also talk about the Mike Tyson story where many of us were drunk and he came at 3 o'clock in the morning with his people. And uh, not great. So that will be part of part two of the House of L here wherever you download your podcast. Perfect. I couldn't sign off better myself. <laughs> on Black Planet. <laughs> Black, right here on Black We'll be back on BlackPlanet.com. We'll be right back here. after this. More coming up on BlackPlanet.com with the House of L. Back after this. That right there is some of the most fun I have ever had doing a taping of House of L. Big shout out to Jonathan for being available. We could have talked for hours and hours, and I suspect he is one of the people that will find a way to be back on the podcast because we've only scratched the surface of the things that he's done, the things that he will do, and the talent that he has. You can find Jonathan on Twitter at TweetJHood. You can listen to him on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM NBA. So make sure that you do that. He does play-by-play for UIC basketball. And I actually saw him last year doing play-by-play for UIC baseball. He's really good at it. So add him to the the list of guys from the score that are good at doing play-by-play. I guess this is kind of an interesting question. At this point, Jonathan has been at both places equal amount of time. Maybe a little bit more, now that I think about it, maybe more at ESPN than at the score so is he a score guy or is he an espn guy hmm. something to ponder we're gonna get to the emails in a second want to thank our sponsor david hockberg and team hockberg look if you are buying a house or refinancing a house you need to hit up david he's the guy that can help you he actually helped me and i'm trying to work with advertisers that i know and trust and then pass them along to you. So if you're looking to buy a home or refinance one, call him, 855-56-DAVID. Again, that's 855-56-DAVID. And when you call there, be like, hey, I heard about you on House of L, and Lauren says that you're a good dude, so help me out with this refinance. He gets stuff done quick. He cuts like a hammer. He knocks down walls for you. So make sure that you check him out. Give him a call. Tell them that I told you about what's going on with Team Hochberg. All right? Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. 
NMLS number 112461. All right, so call David. You can go check out the website too, 56david.com. You guys have been doing a great job with the emails. I'm glad that you're getting back into a rhythm of sending me emails. House of L podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can send an email my way. This is from Tim. Tim says, Lawrence, yet another powerfully honest episode. I'm continually impressed by your purposeful use of your platforms for good and in better times, joy. I know you joke on the radio about running for public office, but if you ever did, your community would be the beneficiary. Your words are focused and powerful with the ability to reach far and wide. I'm proud to call myself a fan going back to the me and Z days. That's from Tim and Racine. Thanks, Tim. You heard me in this episode talking about it with Jonathan. (laughs) I mean, he's been calling me like the alderman on the South side for a long time. I do care. I care a lot. And other people do too. I I don't want to make it seem like I'm out here solo caring. There are a ton of people who are caring. As as I'm recording this and as this drops, there are marches and peace marches going on all over the city. And that does my heart good. I, I just the problems are so big that they can sometimes seem overwhelming. And that's that's the really, really scary part. But thanks, Tim. I appreciate your your email. This is from Javi, who says, Lawrence, Gabe Ramirez, Jason Goff, Joe Ostrowski, Chris Tannehill. On at the same time to talk about growing up in Chicago. Hmm. That's not a that's not a terrible idea. I like that. I think that could be a, a fun episode. Get those guys in a room virtually and do a pod with them. The experiences are definitely different. I don't know if Jason would claim Chicago though, because I mean I, he pretty much claims Evanston. Not that he didn't spend time in on the north side and, of course, hanging out with his family on the south, but I'm down for that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for the suggestion. This is from Pablo. Hey, Lawrence, I hope you and your family are healthy and staying safe during these uncertain times. I was able to listen to your show live on Friday for the first time in far too long and was able to catch your segments on Peter Norman. Though I knew of Mr. Norman's role in the iconic moment, I was unaware of USA track and field's effort to honor him during the Sydney Olympics, and I was happy to know that he was able to get some of the roses while he could still smell them, so to speak. At the end of your segment, you asked for suggestions for sports history research projects, and I hope this suggestion might pique your interest. I'm a diehard White Sox fan, even though my dad loves the Cubs because of my grandfather. He made sure my first professional game was at the new Comiskey Park. I still remember walking in and seeking that field and seeing that field and being instantly hooked. Unfortunately, I was seven years old and details of that game escaped me, though I still have the giveaway from that game, which was a white hat and a black brim and the letter CA on the front of it. I remember asking my grandfather about it and he proceeded to spend the rest of the game telling me about the Chicago American Giants the Negro Leagues and how far too long not everyone was allowed to play professionally due to their color of their skin this started a relationship of open discussion between my grandfather and I discussing history baseball and life that continued to his untimely passing 10 years ago I'm sorry to hear that so you want me to do something on on the Negro Leagues and the Chicago American Giants 
You ain't said nothing but a word. I'm down with that. We've been doing a lot of stuff and thank God. You know, I'll give you a couple things. This is someone who you wouldn't suspect is really good on Negro League's history. But Gordon Wittenmeyer is kind of a vault of Negro League's history. And with the history of the league being in Chicago with Rube Foster, I think it's worthy of, a, of an episode of the show or an episode of the podcast. But I, I thank you for the suggestion. Good work. If you'd like to email the podcast, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it. And that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the pod. This is one of my favorites because Jonathan is one of my favorites. And I'm glad that you were able to check out the foolishness that happens when we are in the same room, even virtually together. Thanks for your support of the podcast over the last few weeks. It's been great. Tell a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Give us five stars and write a review if you can. Or just tell someone. Just retweet it. I'll see you next week. I got a good one for you next week because it's going to be my mom. She's going to be on the podcast. You're going to want to hear from her. We'll do that next week. See you next time. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.